Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people who create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Okay, announcements. Well, we have a few. Tickets are still available for Euro Closure, the Closure Conj, and the training that happens immediately before the Closure Conj. Just to remind you, Euro Closure will take place in Bratislava, Slovakia from October 25th to 26th, and the Conj is in Austin, Texas from December 1st through the 3rd. Uh, the training will, for the, before the Conj will happen immediately before the one or two days before, depending on uh, which of the various training options you're looking at doing. So go ahead and have a look at the websites for those. You can search for Euroclosure, search for Closure Conj, you'll get right to the right place. Uh, there's a Closure Users Group meeting in Buenos Aires. Uh, that's happening Wednesday, September 28th at 7 o'clock at the Urban Station Palermo Soho. Um, I'm not familiar with the area, but hopefully that means something to you. If you happen to be in or can get to Buenos Aires, go ahead and check that out. Uh, there are still seats available for a couple of Closure Bridge workshops coming up. Uh, one is happening in London from September 30th to October 1st. And this is all, of course, in the year 2016. And the other is happening in Boston, uh, October 14th and 15th. Find out more about that and all other things Closure Bridge related, including how to donate to support that organization at closurebridge.org. That's all I have for you in terms of announcements. So we'll go ahead and go on to episode 110 of the Cognicast. All good. So, uh, welcome everybody. Today is Tuesday, August 30th, 2016, and this is the Cognicast. Uh, and today we have two guests with us. We're very pleased to welcome them both to the show. Uh, we have with us today Martin Trozier and Yoda Stanton. Welcome to the show, Martin and Yoda. Thank you. Thank you. It's really great to have you here. Uh, I think we have lots of interesting things we can talk about. Um, you were both highly recommended to us by... Uh, a couple people, but including Alex Miller, who said, oh, you should definitely have uh, this team on. Um, but we'll get to that in a moment. We're going to start off like we always do with a question about art. And I think Yodit has uh, either won or lost the twang cuss as far as being the one that takes that question, uh, or however she wants to look at it. Uh, but the question, of course, is about some experience of art, just, you know, something you'd like to share with us. could be anything from a book you've read to any experience of art at all, whatever that means to you. So since we did forewarn you about this question, I'm assuming you have something prepared that you would like to share with us. What would that be, Yodit? Okay, so... Um... I'm not into kind of painting art or, or anything like that, but I'm, I'm into medieval history so uh, and, and visiting places. And one of the most interesting experiences I've ever had is uh, I'm Ethiopian. Um, in northern Ethiopia, there is uh, a place called Lalibela, which is uh, rock-cut churches that were built in something like the 12th century, if not before. And within these churches, there are many, many smaller churches. There's one big kind of, if you, when you look at it, you actually can only see it properly from um, a helicopter or really kind of high above. You see this kind of cross cut into the rocks. And I just find, you know, people building um, these kind of structures, especially at a time um, when we necessarily didn't have the tools, obviously. And also, you know, when you're building these kind of Massive, massive structures. Uh, a lot of the people that are um, that are designing them don't actually they don't end up, you know, in their lifetime seeing the the fruit of their labor. And um, it, whereas in what we do, you know, the fashion for tech changes nearly every six months, and you it's, it's hard to keep up. So I kind of find that juxtaposition of um, different ways of, of people work interesting so that's my input look it up it's called Lalibela. it's in ethiopia it's amazing hmm. so you said it's it's rock cut you mean it's actually like carved out of a, a hill or a mountain rather than being built from from blocks or something like that yes so the structure is cut into directly into the rock but it's huge it's massive um 
I don't know how many, I think there's about eight independent churches inside this massive one church. And it looks like it's just one big stone cut cross building, but it goes down, I don't know, a couple of floors, maybe three floors. There's many monks that live within the nicks and grannies. Um, They're kind of away from from the world and 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 yeah it's, it's amazing and, and you walk inside of these churches and it's just so many different types of paintings and and, and all sorts so it's, yeah it's it's fairly amazing that sounds absolutely fascinating there's so many interesting places in the world to visit but that definitely sounds like one of the one of the just it would be really cool to i suspect when you're standing in it it's quite impressive as well yeah it's it's fairly inspiring i think it's it's, it's kind of your it, from when you're standing inside of it, you don't actually know that it's well. It's not very obvious that it's the whole building is one big cross because it's that big, um, and it's uh, it's a fairly. I, I haven't seen anything like it, and I'm not really sure where the design comes from. And maybe they don't do it that often because it's probably really hard. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, very cool. cool. Awesome, awesome, and I love the comparison with uh, what we do as well. We will, we will, of course, um, uh, turn from that topic as fascinating it is to topics more, more technical. Um, and but maybe before we do that, we should uh, give the two of you a chance to introduce yourselves a bit to our listeners that may not have encountered you before. And I think we'll throw it over to to Martin, give him a chance to uh, introduce himself. So, Martin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Martin, um, software developer. Uh, going at it for some while now, I think about two decades uh, professionally. I lost a couple of years to management, but I'm back on track now, uh, <laughs> writing code. Um, first first half of my career was uh, a lot of embedded systems, uh, like low-level real-time operating systems, mobile phones and stuff. But I've been slowly working my way up uh, you know, on the hierarchy, abstraction layers, and now I'm doing, you know, web apps like everybody else, <laughs> mm-hmm. backend, frontends. Um, we're doing closure about five years uh, professionally. Um, so I'm, I'm well, um, you know, involved. I've been involved with a little bit of the, the London community here around uh, closure, et cetera. So and enjoying it. Yeah, and I should mention you're you're uh, I I've, I see your name quite often in connection with the show. You're obviously a listener, for, which we which we always appreciate. So yeah, I've been enjoying the the podcast for for a long time, and um, you know I've been going to some some closure conferences, etc. As well, and talked them a few. So yeah, all right, yeah. awesome, cool. Well, we will definitely be coming coming back to talk to you uh, a lot more here in this uh, roughly hour. But uh, let's let's throw it over to to Yoda and give her a chance to. Uh, share with us a little bit about her uh, background, or really whatever one you you want to say about yourself. So um, my name is Yodit. I I've been professionally a software developer for probably about fifteen years. I am well. I was doing um, what's nowadays referred to as was big data um, processing, but I I was I started in investment banks, so I've been working in algo trading, kind of low latency systems, pretty much from from the start of my career. So moving lots of data around, processing data, lots of real-time kind of machine learning, which is, you know, modeling financial transaction and black box trading. I guess I got into, I mean, I got, so I, I've, I'm i a Java, um, I don't know what to call it. I'm free of Java now, but my transition to Clojure has been coming at, um, just being sick of Java, I had been written Java probably, you know, for a decade. And I got into Clojure as a dabbler probably about four years ago, um, professionally more of about three years. Um, and nowadays, for my sins, I run um, a startup called Open Centers, um, which is kind of a lot of a lot of the stack as obviously in, in Clojure, um, as, as I'm sure we'll discuss at some point, you know, the, the kind of the closure data processing especially when we started when Hadoop was coming in um, as in what we I mean generally the kind of the data the open source data world um, Hadoop was just kind of early stage maturing um, closure was just amazing um, to get stuck into the Hadoop world so I'm kind of I have a it's got a very <laughs> loving heart um, space in my heart for, for closure especially on the data side yeah, awesome. So, I mean, uh, 
you mentioned uh, the this the startup, and I actually uh, want to dig into that a little bit. Um, so this is you're talking, of course, about OpenSensors.io, and uh, this is a well, maybe I should let you describe it, but I I, I think we're going to talk a little bit about Internet of Things, which is actually a topic that I wouldn't mind exploring a little bit on its own. It's something that I haven't really done a lot of uh, work in that area, but obviously it's something that is uh, quite relevant, quite topical, a growing area. So um, maybe talk to us a little bit about about the company, about Internet of Things more, more generally. And then, of course, we would love it if you would tie in how, you know, the technologies that, uh, that we and our listeners uh, enjoy. You mentioned Clojure, but of course there are others. How you've been able to uh, make those work or maybe not work for you in that, in that space. Sure. So um, that's a very long tale. So I, I won't tell it by myself, but I'll, I'll start with the introductions and, and kind of talk about the early days and we can talk about what we're doing now. Um, the technology stack, I mean, because we've used Clojure from, from the start, it's kind of evolved in, in a massive way. So, yeah, I should have introduced my startup. This is terrible. <laughs> um, you're just modest. Um, that's so, all. You're just modest. Okay. <laughs> Or I'm not, yeah, yeah. Um, so OpenCenter is really as a, a cloud um, data infrastructure for the Internet of Things. Um, the way it works is that people can process data from their sensors. They can plug in their sensors, um, manage their devices, kind of authenticate their devices, and, and we process the data. Um, the, the, the interesting thing about it is... Um, that we also tell people, you know, if if they like to, um, if they have public data, they should share the data as open data. Um, and the the way it's shared is with open data licenses. So it's very close to, you know, in terms of in terms of structure and 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 lots of things open source. So you can anyone can take that data, reuse it, uh, plug it into their own systems. And I suppose that's that's our uh, very unique view of how IoT would even work or even scale because you have, you know, supposedly have these billions of devices coming online over the next, you know, five years or, or whatever, Take pick a number. Um, but what people don't really appreciate potentially is that managing these devices is hard changing the batteries to, to kind of infrastructure management as well as you know buying the sensors is is you know it costs money um, so why not if it's public data if it's things like air quality water quality why shouldn't people share it um, and that's been really su- successful over the last couple of years we've built up a community and people are actually creating their own communities these days where they have local sensor networks around air quality, water quality, I don't know, earthquakes, all this kind of stuff, and they're sharing the data and people are, are taking the data and reusing it in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways. It's, it's actually fascinating to see. Um, so I guess that's what we're building in terms of the vision. Um, we're a closure shop. Yeah, it's, 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 I can go into that, um, but... Does that make sense? Oh, totally. No, it's fascinating, actually. I think, uh, I mean, it's fascinating on a number of dimensions. Certainly, um, I think socially, right? This idea that um, I could do great things if I could just have access to the data and building a platform that will give people access to the data um, is really, really interesting. I've I've often said that um, kind of one of my, you know, fantasies for the world would be that we are able to connect um, the people out there that have programming skills with the people out there that have problems to solve, right? Because I think a lot of us go around and, you know, we write software to solve all of our little problems. Like I'm playing a game and I think I'll write a thing to keep track of my scores. Well, wouldn't it be great if you could turn that towards solving a disease instead, even if even if it was only part of your time? Anyway, so I feel like what you're talking about is, is in some sense um, in the same spirit of let's let's find a way to connect people with the resources that they need in order to do good things. Yeah, I think so. And, and I mean, the analogy to open source is, is quite clear, right? You can imagine, like Jody said, when all these millions of devices come online, um, you know, what do we do with this corpus of data, right? How do we how do we expose it if it's open? How do we categorize it? And how, how can communities come together and, and share data? So if, if you are like a community around a school or something and you're worried about traffic or air quality or whatever, 
we want to provide like a platform where they can find data or if there is a like a white patch on the map somebody can get a sensor stick it on their balcony and kind of contribute and join and and you know get some get something out of it in the case of air quality where we've done a lot of work you can you can see stuff like people who are running to work commuting i mean, it, that would be one example they might be very interested in you know just tracking air quality and, and deciding okay i have to take the bus today because some smoke cloud has drifted in so just lif lifting and making all that data accessible uh, is kind of what we're trying to do and, and just trying to create the platform for these communities to to you know a place for they to come together and share data and kind of tell their stories as well right so this is a project and this is why we're doing it and here's a way to to kind of see what we're doing and highlight it I imagine the technical challenges are quite significant. I mean, first of all, I would imagine that there is the potential, I'm not sure where you're at right now, but there's at least the potential for just having absolutely enormous amounts of data. Am I, am, I mean, maybe that's not even the biggest challenge you have, but like, is that a challenge? And, and if it's, if that one's no big deal, what are the challenging parts of the problem you're trying to solve? I think technically, yes. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, people have been talking now for the last two or three years on how enormous this thing will be. And, uh, you know, I, I don't believe there will be one single winner who will take all, all the data. I think it will be, you know, partitioned up. A lot of this sensor data is and will always be private. So, um, you know, th they won't be really be seen and they will be handled by, you know, infrastructure providers like Amazon and everybody else is doing place into IoT now. Um, but yeah, I think for us, um, ramping up, we have the kind of classical startup, um, problems, you know, we have this vision on this community driven site and it's just trying, trying new features, trying to make it as simple as possible to bring new sensors online. Um, because typically IOT, so IOT has been quite strong, like in the maker movement, people coming together with Adrenos and building small robots. And this is this is great, and you know we we've, we've definitely been part of that, especially in London. But this is highly technical users, and if this is to really scale, and, and if it's po possible for normal people, if you will, to to buy sensors and enable sensors, so how do we make that slick, right? To um, so I think that would be been our key problems now to just um, you know finding the right feature set and making it easy for people to come online and use it. Um, if it grows, you know, yeah. I mean, as a, as you know, working a lot in the back end, I know I, I obviously I think about those things, but there's only so much <laughs> you can you can. You know, at some point, you have to stop thinking, worry about it, and say, yeah, this is good enough for for six months, and now let's focus on something else and revisit it if it's a problem. Hmm. Uh, so it, it's kind of the the normal kind of startup web thing that might blow up and then. It's hard to predict exactly where things will break as well when they scale up, right? You don't really know until it happens. Yeah, especially in a market that's, I mean, really pretty brand new. Yeah, it's very nascent. Um, and that's the other thing is like there is, for us, I think the the biggest discovery, we're probably kind of an old company compared to, to many others um, in the IoT space. And, you know, it's still very nascent. You know, there is no good way of doing things yet. And you're you're always trying to figure out what works and what is what is a good experience when you're kind of creating IoT services. Um, one of the most surprising things, and I think we've we've got actually quite far. I think we don't potentially like stop and think, you know, wow, we've built all this stuff. I mean there's we have kind of I don't know more than I think we're, we're more than 15 million daily messages processing at the moment um, we have kind of communities mushrooming everywhere and, and it's quite fascinating and and the other thing that we're kind of the movement the community movement has also created so the way we charge is like open data is free private people pay us I mean it's, it's really the github model um, what we're seeing a lot is you know, the private network, sensor network deployers using the data um, with the, the open data with their private networks because they're, they're kind of, they're realizing that, you know, they combine multiple data sets, 
and they get better insight and they get better analytics. But so we have a, a, a two big problems or challenges. One is how do we make it very easy to publish data from the sensors, you know, end to end, and actually let people um, publish data, and make it open. And the other one is well, how do we let people understand what's going on if they if they start crunching different sensor types together like people are crunching um, footfall data with weather data and they're trying to see if there's correlations and that kind of thing like how do we make how do we make that easy and, and no one's done it before so I think it's the more um, it's, it's been it's been I mean, we've done probably what two or three iterations of um, the platform um, both front end back end and and I, I suspect we'll do a number of iterations before we get it right because we're kind of there's no there there is nothing to follow. We're kind of doing it and figuring it out, and, and that takes a lot of failing and, and a lot of kind of coming back again and, and retweaking. Sure, yeah. So I'm really interested in this analogy between um, the the you know you mentioned the GitHub model, right? There's there's private data, there's open data. Um, it makes me wonder how far the analogy goes. For instance, I think uh, I wonder if you have uh, if you can compare kind of the the qualities of private data versus the the open data. Does it does it tend to have different characteristics around things like how much curation it needs or what parts of it people pay attention to? Because I mean, I think there are real significant social differences between. Um, uh, maybe not so much like a private GitHub, but like commercially backed software um, and open source software. They mean, you, you know, they just have different characteristics. So, so I'm sitting here going, oh, I wonder if that's true with the data as well. Like, is there something about the the fact that people are holding this themselves or, or circulating under a, under a smaller community that gives it visible characteristics that you can differentiate? I think, yeah. One of the different since we one of the things that's special with IoT, you know, if you talk to people who are doing web stuff, is uh, there's actually hardware on the other end, right? There's really sensors and gateways talking to us, right? It's just not browsers and phones, and and I mean one difference is definitely in the quality of the sensors themselves, right? So um, the the open communities usually use kind of fairly cheap sensors on you know Arduinos, etc., and that quality surely differs from from uh, maybe private data where corporations can afford purpose-built hardware with lot you know less noise and, and etc so that's definitely a difference but i think in the way we, we if we think in the cleanliness of, of data right um the thing is uh, once once you've written kind of the firmware for these sensors they they, they stay the same right so given that you uh, and th that's one of the problems we want to solve. We want to help people to to you get it right from the beginning, and you know, kind of, so we can categorize the data uh, and make it explorable and searchable, you know, downstream. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that the main one of the main problems, like I said, is maybe the difference in hardware what people can afford. But once once the data starts flowing, um, I I don't think it's a massive difference. Um, if we've done our job right and people find it easy to kind of categorize and tag their data so we can use it, it's it's quite on par. And also the quality has improved the more sensors you have. So the more, the, the density of the sensors matters. So if you have lots of air quality sensors um, in, in the city, um, you know, on, if you have lots on a street, for example, you have a better picture of what the what the um, the baseline is. If you have one sensor in a whole neighborhood, then it's going to have to be an expensive, maybe scientific grade sensor. So the density of how you deploy matters. Yeah. So the open source model works well there where everybody can. If you have a large corpus of sheep weather stations, you can do with some analysis on top of that, you can probably extract some very valuable analytics. Interesting. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, devices and how people are using small devices. I guess when I think about Internet of Things, I don't know whether whether cell phones play a big role or whether it's more focused on, 
you know, s smaller devices. But it occurs to me that, you know, we all carry around devices with multiple sensors in them. And my phone has air pressure, humidity, light, a, a camera, obviously, you know, GPS, all that good stuff. It's the fact that we all, I mean, not all is a strong word, but so many of us have these, uh, these devices with us. How much do you think that's going to play into this, this growing trend towards gathering data and being able to hopefully make use of it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of potential. There's a lot to be figured out in terms of privacy. I think that's, that's the thing is like how I'm quite excited about obviously like all the data, gathering all the data and packaging. But then I step back and think, oh gosh, if, if I get, you know, the GPS location of, even if it's anonymous, like what is the potential of people kind of, you know, obviously, it's, it's, we, we all know that it's, it's actually quite easy to, with, with a few data points, to figure out who's who's um, releasing the data. So, I don't know. I think I'm I'm not conflicted on it. I think it, it's fine for certain use cases. Obviously, people are using phones for beacon technology, which is indoor um, indoor triangulation, um, where a lot of retailers are kind of using. Yeah, they give you an app. Um, when you go near a particular scarf, you know, they push a coupon or something your way, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so there's definitely going to be a mass, I mean, phones are going to be pretty, you know, pretty central to a lot of a lot of the things we do, a lot of the trends that we're going to see over the next five to 10 years. Um, on the open data side, I'm still, I'm still thinking it through. Um, obviously, on the open data side, we want public data, we want environmental data, but we don't particularly want to be the company that's going to violate everyone's privacy. <laughs> so I don't know what do you think, Martin. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, so one of the key metrics for, for for the data is the location, right? So if you pretty much anything you measure there, like uh, quality of temperature, you kind of need to attach a location. You know, we, we support both kind of mobile sensors that moves around on cars or, or the fixed ones. Um, but the the problem is uh, tracking temperature and the air pressure on people's phones is you could if you're not taking big steps on our side to to kind of wash it out that you could you could kind of track a phone which would be really bad. Um, but uh, there's definitely a lot of potential there uh, for sure. Um, uh, I mean, we we have played around with it with some with some simple apps etc. But um, I mean, the bulk of it still is kind of fixed sensor that people put up on 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 you know, fixed locations mm -hmm. so far. That makes sense. I mean, I, I'm glad to hear that you're thinking hard about that stuff because I think, uh, you know, it sounds like you're pretty far out at the edge and it would be, it's great to hear that the people that are out there are are really considering that stuff rather than putting something in place and then later going, huh, <laughs> well, didn't intend for that to happen. So very, very, I think very wise on your part to show some caution. Um, well, cool. Well, I, I thought maybe we could turn towards, um, this is really interesting stuff, but I thought maybe we could turn towards um, some of the technical pieces, I mean, you both mentioned Clojure as being part of the tools that you use on a regular basis. Obviously, that's, you know, probably the central technology theme for this show anyway, is uh, is Clojure. And so, I, I mean, here you've, you've built a, a really non, you've solved or are in the process of solving and have solved some really non-trivial problems using it. So, I, I don't know what specifically to ask you i'd just love to hear your experience and and you know places where you feel like closure has been a big win you know you you said you're a huge fan uh from a data side uh uh martin you've written a bunch of things about about closure that i think are very thought provoking and interesting so i just love to hear each of you give a chance to um you know just weigh in on oh yeah closure has been great for this or you know for this it would have been whatever like just that would be lovely to hear I think if I can start, I think it's it's interesting because it's it kind of influenced the company both kind of culturally and technically. I mean, um, it, it's always been kind of a technology-driven company. So it's one of those startups where tech guys come together and try to do something cool instead of, you know, a sales guy trying to, to sell something. And uh, I mean, the people, the people that founded it kind of found themselves in found each other in, in, in the closure community circles and um, so a lot of what's been going on in the closure community in, in London at least that kind of is how what birthed the company so it's quite interesting and um, so and I think the and and both the audit and I and, and and some 
the guys who've been involved from the beginning is, is very, you know, like Malcolm in, in, in Jux, which I know you've spoken to previously, was also one of the founders. So, um, you know, going to conferences, talking about the other closure people, looking, hearing what they are doing, you know, exploring the big data side like Jodit's been doing, I think it's been instrumental in, in, in not just what we've done technically, but also like setting the tone and, and the, the culture in the company, which is quite interesting. Well, uh, I, I, I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit. I mean, obviously you think it's been beneficial, but in what sense has that been true? Yeah, I think, I mean, in my mind, what, what you know, one, one, of the, one of the draws to closure for me was, um, was the community in London. And, and big thanks to Bruce and James and those guys who, who's still running it. Um, I mean, closure community is, I, I don't know, everybody, if you've been exposed to a couple of languages, communities, one thing that strikes you is how different they are. And, and the closure community, to me at least, has always been very you know, warm and welcoming and helpful to beginners. And, you know, people sitting together trying to solve problems together in dojos or hack days or whatever. Um, so just getting people, you know, up and running and solving problems and talking about how to do things better. And, you know, one of the things with the closure community as well is we're, we're writing a lot of libraries with really clever names, uh, <laughs> and just, just keeping on top of that has been very interesting because I think that the learning is, is, is one thing I think that's unique for the closure community. Um, I think we all learn a lot. And we were very engaged, so I think that's really helped. Uh, those are a couple of things over the highlight, and then of course, as the community grows, um, you know, you find p- new people to work with, and you know, you you kind of expand your your uh, network of people who can work you want to work with that way as well. So it's been beneficial that way, I'd say, uh, culture. And then, technically, I I'll hand it over to Jody to to take over for a bit now, maybe. Okay. Yeah, um, it's been interesting because obviously, like when we started, we started maybe what two and a half years ago. The way we view new technologies has has probably like transitioned. No, I mean, like we we experimented with so many of the early libraries in Clojure. We were kind of probably the first. You know, we were. I think Clojure Script was probably still. I don't even know if it was out of beta when we started using it. Um, so. There's been times when we've we've it's it's been really really exciting to be part of the closure journey. I mean, you know, closure is still a very young language, and the community is very young, um, and and that's I mean, I think it feels like we've kind of developed alongside the language, and now as we're much more um, thinking about obviously stability and and things like that. So as we mature as a company, I suppose the the kind of the transition, how we look at languages and how we assess languages also has changed. And and, and, and there's there's lots of things. I think we'll probably stick with closure for for lots of things. And then we'll also experiment with other things. It's, it's, um, I suppose the relationship, it's been an interesting transition building a company around a language, if if that makes sense. um, and also, yeah, in terms of culturally as, as a company, I think generally we're all, I mean, can I call us older, burnt out, experienced people? I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, lot, there's a lot of like been there, done that um, folks where we've, we have, um, I probably have a love-hate relationship still with Java, but I don't, I don't want to, I probably won't you know, um, I, I don't think I'll probably write, oh, again, you know, I'm, I'm kind of firmly in the FP camp, firmly for the rest of my career. I don't know, unless something blows my mind over the next, you know, few years. But um, so, yeah, that kind of build, bringing together a collection of individuals that have are a bit world weary, have seen... Um, I've seen things go wrong with OO and and our family in the FP camp. Would that be fair to say, Martin? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think a lot of the early, if you look back, like I've been doing closure, like I said, for for five years, and the first the first generation or whatever you want to call them, uh, um, most of them were you know surviving Java developers who's been you know spending a lot of time uh, writing. Uh, backend systems or whatever in Java and uh, with a lot of experience on, you know, on real world topics and look and all kind of sharing this dream that there must be a better way, right? <laughs> uh, we must, uh, there must be a cleaner way 
and um, just sharing that vision and and you know the kind of the excitement is uh, I think it's taken us far. Um, just the mindset and uh, you know on, on a technical level I think closure I mean it's it's a good fit for for startups right because um, you can you can definitely explore a lot of things you can let a, do a lot of get a lot of things done quickly in the in, in both the back end and the front end which I we definitely benefited from and then also we could since we have had you know Java developers on board from the beginning you can still leverage all this Java experience on you know big pieces of infrastructure you can bring in like you know talk every, everything is there you can talk to any database you you can set up quartz clusters you can you know do whatever it, there's no there's no big wheels to reinvent which I think I think that pragmatism of closure is is one of the one of the keys why it's why it's so popular right yeah that's interesting I I mean obviously I agree um I, I, I you kind of sparked something for me though which is you know, you said you, you emphasize the fact that you like one of the things you like about closure is the fact that people are, you know, kind of explorers, right? Like they're they're they they have not to say everybody is a certain way, but there's certainly a tendency at large, I think, to be interested in new ideas. And so I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, you you are you are going out into new areas, right? Internet of Things is just too new. You have to be explorers. Um, in not only in things like languages, right? Like I, I might be applying it. It's a new tool, but it's a, it's an old problem perhaps. But you're actually applying a new tool to a newish tool anyway, to a new problem. And so I'm wondering, what else have you encountered? I mean, we all love closure, but like, what else are you excited about right now? You've seen other tools doesn't have to be a language, but things that you're like, oh, this this is going to be awesome, or this is really interesting, and maybe it could really help us. Because um, I, I think just the nature of your work means that you're going to have to be thinking about stuff. So, you know, what, what should I what should I be excited about that's out there that, it's, that you're interested in? Do you want to start, Yodit? Or... I'll let you start. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm playing pointy-haired boss these days. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm like, I, my explorer phase is probably kind of coming to an end. And I end up like thinking, oh, my God, are we going to ship a product? Is this gonna... So my assessment now is like, is this thing going to let us ship? Mm. Um, and it's sad, but it's, you know, it's, it's my role. And then, and then... We, Yeah, we, we tend to play those roles a bit. So I'm get very excited. Oh my God, we have to write this new app in Elm and Yoda. Oh, 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 and then it's too late. Well, I think that, but I think that dynamic is awesome, right? I mean, I've yeah. I've definitely been involved in efforts where the, you know, the ooh shiny is the only consideration, and you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> like you really do need to say, well, that's great, but it has to the the costs have to outweigh the uh, or sorry the benefits have to outweigh the costs. So maybe we could do it like this, Martin. You could tell us what things you think are out that are awesome and. And and Yoda, you can put on your uh, your your, your pointy haired wig and and tell us, well that's cool, but I'm concerned that these things may not be practical or that they may have these costs. We could we could try try it like that if it makes any sense. Yeah, so I mean, I guess if you look through the different kind of generations, so we have rewritten our backend completely three times, isn't it now? <laughs> and oh my I, God, yeah. <laughs> one, one one of the things is. Um, you you tend to move more and more to this is the classical uh, that everybody's doing moving more more to you know um, s service data stores and more service things so you you to to cut down your operational problems and and stuff like that so we we've been doing we're doing a lot of hard lessons learned on the DevOps side and trying to run our own data stores clustered and and moving away to more established things like you know Dynamo and stuff like that. And I think what's going on, I mean, I think the next reInvent is just a few months uh, in the future. And I, like any startup, we're kind of terrified if we're going to get killed in this year and the next year. Mm. In right? But I think what's going on on, on on the big service providers like Azure and, and AWS is definitely exciting. And, you know, just the stuff and also the stuff they've been doing for a long time, like Dynamo and, and the, the way they keep involving those things is really impressive and 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 us adopting that more and more has definitely helped us. So everything that's going on in that space is really exciting uh, for me. On a on a more kind of day to day level, uh, I'm definitely one of the explorers <laughs> personally when it comes to languages and libraries. Um, 
not just shiny things, but also, you know, that's, I think it's part of my personality to, to, you know, try. I mean, one of the reasons I fell into closure was because I was, you know, looking around for, for other things. There must be better ways of doing it. I was actually coming from, from F sharp to closure, which might be a strange move, Hmm. but, um, so F, F sharp about six months, six years ago, really kind of rekindled my love for, for FP. Uh, prior to that, I've been, uh, you know, I, I was doing some FP in university, but the problem with, with FP or, or the lisps and schemes and the sick book and everything back then it's always been that it's, it's so great in the kind of the walled garden of, of the core libraries. But if you want to go out and do something pra- practical and actually, you know, read a file from disk, something you, you need, you need a different kind of language. And that's, during my career has always been the most disappointing things with all the kind of old school um, languages like that at actually doing something it was so hard so when i think when i discovered f sharp and the later closure what really opened my eyes was that oh my god you can actually now here's a language or a framework where you can actually get stuff done and still you know use all these good lessons that and write cleaner code so so that that's what was a real revelation for me and i think I think it the the thing with programming languages as well is is such a personal thing, right? And I think one of the problems we get as a community is when when people learn new things or they get involved in new communities, there's there, there's so much kind of emotional <laughs> investment here. So uh, I think what we have to remember is that when it it is is such a personal preference kind of thing, right? So it, when somebody says that oh this this library is better than that library, it's really that's that's one voice, right? that's based on that person's, you know, experiences it doesn't make it universally true. Um, so I think we, we should all gener- realize that we're all on kind of personal journeys and people, you know, grow and find more other things interesting. And it doesn't, it doesn't negate any, you know, all the other people's experiences. But I think that's, that, that's quite crucial. And, and for me personally, I've been, I've been, so one of the lessons learned for us is we, like I said, we've been using ClojureScript for a long time, and we've been very early on ClojureScript and very early on on some of the famous libraries like Ohm and React, and we're doing, we're starting our third maybe rewrite of the frontends now, and uh, we are we are exploring a language called Elm, and uh, which I believe and some of the people I, I'm working with here is is can help us because we have. Maybe it's just us the way we use it, but you know, front-end development uh, is very hard, and and um, we really we come to the conclusion, or I have, and, and some of the, con- the contracts we're working with, that you know, all all the help we can get from a compiler would help us here. Hmm. Um, so so we, so I personally are looking into that, and um, it's going great so far. But um, I guess my point is that's you know if if if. The listeners here are interesting in those. I I, I I encourage them to explore it, but yeah, it doesn't negate all the good work at all that we we've on all the the fruits we've reaped from from closure and closure script. Um, so 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 I'm personally is in a bit of a technology kind of transition phase at the moment, and I think the company as a whole is since we're a small startup, are kind of dragging Yodit and the other poor souls along. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I, I think it's it, so. It's two things, right? It's the kind of day-to-day kind of you know cogs and bricks of writing code and working with the code base and evolving it, and working in the team, and then the kind of the big move, the big things on the horizon, like all the big um, you know hosted services that are out there that we should you know try to explore as, as well as we can. So it's 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 really general there, and on a you know on a technology side, I'd say. Yeah, and also the terms of, I mean, technology choices. I mean, if I talk about, I, I still feel like, I mean, I have a long way to go um, to being the kind of developer that I want to be. Um, and one day, the kind of developer I want to be is is to, to be able to pull out the tools that suit the job. So I want to be good enough and, you know, from Erlang to, to, you know, to every kind of tool that's necessary in order for me to kind of solve the problem. And sometimes we don't, we don't talk about, we don't talk enough about what's the appropriate tool to solve this particular problem and maybe how we can all um, just be flexible and, and just kind of 
have a bag of tools rather than necessarily kind of sticking to one. And that's um, that's the I suppose the kind of the master craftsman type type attitude that I take is that in by it'll probably be by the end of my career but you know at some point I'd like to be able to just be able to just just swiftly uh, pull out any chisel or hammer um, and, and kind of be able to make something um, so on a personal level I think the exploring is is good and, and, and um, we're all trying to get better right yeah, I find I I I agree with what you both said. It's it's really interesting. I, I've lately come to say that there are only two hard problems in in uh, software development, and of course there's a joke that starts like that. But the two hard problems are, um, in my opinion, are the speed of light and people, <laughs> right? And I think what you both said is you know there's a lot of people stuff in there. I mean you mentioned. Yoda, you mentioned um, you know being able to focus on hopefully not misstate what you said. You know is that there's there's these factors like can we can we focus on on what problem needs to get solved right together and and figure out how to go about doing that and i think that's a that's a super hard problem actually with team development and, and and martin i was interested when when you said um you mentioned a whole bunch of stuff that has to do with operating software which is an enormous problem and one that i think um at least i as a developer have for most of my career spent less attention on than I should. Just really interesting stuff. It's cool to get your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean I've I've been I've been semi interested in the, the upside for, for a long time. And um being being interested is kind of got me half involved in the in the operational side. So, you know, I've written a fair bit of Chef and and puppets and everything back in the day and, you know, spent a lot of time with Docker containers and setting everybody's environment up. And I think running so one of the biggest changes as well we've done recently in in, um, in open sensors like we we like a year ago and a year and a half ago we really transitioned from the prototype phase to to like a proper production phase and uh, one of the our biggest technical kind of debts there was to really shore up the the operation side. Um, I, I find it interesting, but you know it's 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 um it exposes i mean quite interesting for me ex- exposes some new sides to the languages and runtimes that we use right so which are a really interesting and important part of the whole puzzle i'd say because and that's another area where where closure is really strong at least in the back end where you know we have all the running and ops tooling around the JVM, right? So we can monitoring it, we can, you know, it's understood how we package and launch it. And the, people complain a lot about stack traces, but one of the reasons they are very verbose is that when something blows up in production, you really want a verbose and elaborate stack trace to really figure out what happened, right? When, when you start exploring other languages, um, like, like I always do, like, you know, let's take an example like Haskell with, you know, lazy evaluation and not so much optimized for operational uh, not yet at least where if if you if you try to form an uh, kind of an informed opinion of, on on the language and the runtime as a whole uh, i think those those sides are really important so it's not just about the type checker or how clean you can do quick sort it's actually okay once you have this executable how does it how do you monitor it? how do you kind of run it in production how does how do you know what part of it is slow, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, so I think with my experience as well, I, I try to, you know, these are the things, you know, that I, on my spare time that I, I, I think about when I go on, on my adventures. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like you write a piece of software and you maybe spend, pick a number, right? Three months writing it. And then it lives for maybe five years, <laughs> Yeah. right? So it makes a lot of sense to emphasize the f- to some degree, and to more probably than we often do, to emphasize the five years, right? Like, what's that going to be like? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ah, cool stuff. Well, um, I don't want to. I don't want to keep you all day. Although, absolutely fascinating conversation. Um, but maybe this would be a good time to transition to the part of the show where I always like to leave time in the show um, for. The guests, if they have anything that they're like, oh, good, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a chance to talk to Craig and and his listeners. Uh, maybe I should mention X. And people don't always have something, but uh, they often do. And and so I always like to leave space rather than me just setting the agenda here to say, hey, um, we'll start with you, Martin. Like, is there anything uh, that you would 
like us to talk about today. We have plenty of time still, but let's make sure that we leave a block here to, to do that. So I have a we have a shameless plug here. I oh yeah, please. Yeah, oh, yeah, please, 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 please. If you will cut this out, but nope, uh, not at all. Open sensor is sensor is hiring. Um, so if you're keen, uh, first of all, we are we are a very remote team. Uh, so we have people in Bulgaria, Russia, etc., all over Europe, all all kinds of time zones at the moment. And so we we need help on the back end and and front end. Uh, so if you're looking for for work, please get in touch with us. <laughs> so that that's the shameless plug we, pro- we promise ourselves not to forget. Uh, yeah, no, that's great. Actually, I think uh, you know, I mean, closure has gotten a lot bigger in the last uh, whatever we're at now, seven or eight years, but it's still not huge. And I I personally think that there is actually a. Um, I know there are people that are working to solve this problem, but I I feel like I go in and talk to people, and and they're like, I love closure, I'd love to work in closure, but my company's not doing it. And then I talk to other companies, and they're like, Yeah, we really like closure, but we're we're having a hard time hiring. I'm like, These two things cannot simultaneously be true. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's great that you uh, that you're letting our our listeners know that uh, that you would love to talk to them, and I'm assuming they can contact you at OpenSensors.io to to find out more. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Awesome. So that's definitely worth mentioning. Anything else you wanted to mention, Martin? Uh, let, let, let's bring Yoda back. Okay, great, Yoda. Well, anything that you want to lay on us? <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, so, so I just, I mean, for for people that are looking at IoT and, and thinking about how they can get into it, um, I think we should actually talk about a little bit about the skill sets that people need, and I think. Um, one of the things that is that is lacking is is embedded systems programmers. Um, so for those of you that are either getting your kids into programming um, or 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 kind of revisiting um, electronics and embedded systems are going to be amazingly massive over the next ten years. So um, just like data, uh, maybe over the last five to ten years has been, you know, data science data has been the thing to, to, to recruit for. I think in terms of just to kind of complete the circle and lean in other things, um, electronics and um, and firmware development in, in any way is going to be the key for, for a lot of for a lot of industries, right? You have a lot of kind of very traditional industries that are starting to sensorize everything. So manufacturing to you know, connected cars to engineering. You know, it is we're we're just going to see explosion and a demand for these skill sets. So I would say, like as a as a word of advice to anyone that's kind of looking at this area, dust out your old electronics books. <laughs> it's becoming a bit of a lost art, at least at least to us. I mean, from a software perspective, right? People who can you know are comfortable with bringing up the C compiler and assembly and and you know cracking out fiddling the bits in the device driver, right? It's. Uh, I think. Uh, I don't know what education situation is, but it seems like the focus is a lot on, uh, you know, JavaScript and Python and stuff. And yeah, does anybody even teach C anymore? In computer science there mu- degrees. There must be. There must be somewhere, but. <laughs> oh, my... But there's definitely. Yeah. Th- those. Those. That generation will eventually, you know, retire. So there would be a huge gap there for somebody. Yeah, I mean, my my education is now two decades uh, behind me, but I I feel like. Um, that stuff may be more the provenance of electrical engineering right now than computer science, um, despite the fact that there's, as you point out, very good reason. The other thing that occurs to me, though, is that I think there's reason for hope in the sense that uh, device programming has never been as accessible as it is right now with things like Arduino and, and Raspberry Pi to a lesser degree in the device sense, right? Like anybody can go out and spend $15 and download some open source software now and make a thing that's not running any operating system. It's just, you know, like a microcontroller and, and, and working with sensors and what. So I think that's really promising as a, as a source of the skill set you're talking about. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome. That's, that's good stuff. Uh, sorry, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off if that was the, the, if there was anything else you wanted to mention, we certainly have time for that. Oh no, that's me done. Cool. I'll, I'll, I'll give it, I'll give the mic back to Martin. So. Oh. Uh, yes, because Martin, of course, we have uh, we have another question for you, as we always end the show with it, and um, and the question has to do with advice. We always ask our guests to share a little bit of advice with our listeners, whatever stripe of advice they they think is worth sharing. So, what would you like to share with us? Yeah, so I, I 
I will come back a little bit to what maybe what I said before, but I think um, people interested in closure are, like I said, they. I think if you look at the people um, in the communities, they they are you know people interested in learning new things and you know exploring different parts of their they're interested in the craft and how to improve themselves. And what I what I want to one little thing, I don't know why, why it is, but something that I found slightly discouraging is that people seem to get tribal over technologies or, li or libraries or whatever it is. And I just want to, my advice is to, if you have that tendency, try to fight it within yourself too, you know. So, for instance, so one thing that I found very encouraging is that the kind of big cross-community conferences like Strange Loop, and we have one in, in London called Code Mesh. And I those, those conferences are absolutely amazing, kind of big, different communities come together. And I think that's quite rare, actually. I think a lot of, in our industry, a lot of people, you, you're a Scala developer, you go to Scala conferences, and, and you read kind of Scala blogs, and that's what you do. And some people get some kind of emotional investment in this, which I, I, I encourage people to fight. You know, take in new things, go to those great, you know, join other communities. There's, there's definitely no shame in that. And I think you would be better for it. You know, if you, if you got into closure, you, 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 you come a long way, but you can never stop, right? <laughs> there's, always, there's always a bigger fish out there. I think that's excellent advice, and I agree with you. Um, I think you need to look no further than conferences like Strange Loop or Code Mesh. I haven't been to Code Mesh, but Strange Loop, I love Strange Loop, and, and one of the reasons I love it is because exactly what you said, and I often go, uh, in fact, have gone for the last two years and going again this year to RacketCon, and to, yeah. to be there, even though that is a language-specific one, but to be there with them and not as someone who identifies as racket is also really enlightening. So I think that speaks exactly to what you're talking about. I think the, ra the racket community, I mean, obviously a lot smaller than Clojure, but it seems to be a fantastic community as well. Yeah. And, it's, and I think the other thing, the other thing, if you go to other meetups and, and, and you know, spend some time in other communities, you, you appreciate how different they are. And I think for racket, they're, they're more rooted in academia, which I think it's, it's, it's nice, you know, so, um, in, in closure, we're not super academic, if you know what I mean. We are. We read a lot of papers, and you know we're keen in it. But if you if you contrast it to racket, I think it's it's quite different. And it's you. I I think you would surprise yourself how much you would enjoy it. I think if you're um, to, to like you said to mingle in those in those communities. And I think the other the, this that has a little bonus advice for me here is if you go to these kind of conferences or any conference really, for me. The best track is the corridor track, right? Mm -hmm. That's just, just that is, that's what it's all about. You know, nowadays all all the presentations are online. You know, you can sit and watch them in one point five x or whatever. To if you want to save some time at home, but the the corridor track is where it's at. And some of my best conference experiences definitely, you know, hanging out in the corridor and code meshing is having chats with these amazing people from you know creator of elixir or some author of a book i forgot i read and you know all this serendipitous little events is just um, you know it's something that you can live on for the rest of the year until the until strange loop is on again right absolutely yep can't this and i i can i can neither disagree nor think of a better place to uh to end than with that excellent advice so we we will, we will close it down there but not before i thank both of you uh, for coming on, taking the time to come on today. I know that uh, the life of uh, people that work at startups is a busy one, and so I really appreciate you both uh, taking the time to to just to stop by and chat today. Absolutely fascinating stuff. Interesting to hear about your work at open, uh, OpenSensors.io and about um, your perspective on all, all the things we talked about. So very, very cool stuff. Thanks a ton for coming on the show, Martin and Yoda. Thank, Thank you so much for having us. That was my pleasure. Excellent. All right, then we will go ahead and uh, close it down there. This has been the Cognicat. You have been listening to the Cognicast. The Cognicast is a production of Cognitech Inc. Cognitech are the makers of Datomic, and we provide consulting services around it. 
Closure, and a host of other technologies to businesses ranging from the smallest startups to the Fortune 50. You can find us on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. You can subscribe to the Cognicast, listen to past episodes, and view cover art, show notes, and episode transcripts at our home on the web, cognitech.com slash podcast. You can contact the show by tweeting at Cognicast or by emailing us at podcast at cognitech.com. Our guests today were Yodit Stanton and Martin Trozier. Uh, Yodit's on Twitter at Yodit Stanton, Y-O-D-I-T-S-T-A-N-T-O-N. And Martin is on Twitter at Martin Trozier. M-A-R-T-I-N-T-R-O-J-E-R. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production by Russ Olson and Damian Mack. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster. Our theme music is Thumbs Up for Rock and Roll by Kill the Noise with Feed Me. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 